Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the podcast. It's been a number of weeks since our last podcast, so we can try to get caught up on a few things here and cover some new ground, cover some new subjects. And the subject of this podcast is going to be some life advice by the uh, political philosopher Ibn Zafar al-Sakilli. Ibn Zafar al-Sakilli, he's uh, an Arabic... um, a man of letters and political theorist who lived in Sicily and the Middle East uh, during the Middle Ages. And uh, he wrote a very famous, or in some quarters, famous book of of political philosophy. And as you know, I like to do uh, podcasts and write articles about forgotten uh, thinkers, explorers, travelers, men of letters. I just think that it's important to, to... keep alive the spirit of some of these uh, forgotten important notables and and this is this certainly is uh, one of those guys he's often been described as the precursor to Machiavelli in my opinion I, I think he's just as good if not better than Machiavelli in, in terms of his maturity of thought his uh, profundity of his uh, of his advice and I, I think also the expansiveness of his vision so that's what I wanted to do. And we're not going to be able to do a complete discussion of his thought because that would take hours. And I've already written a number of articles about Ibn Zafar. And you can you can find those if you go to my website, qcurtius.com. And if you go to the search box and just type in um, Ibn Zafar, Z-A-F-A-R, uh, I-B-N space Z-A-F-A-R, then you can find those articles. But I wanted to keep this this podcast focused on just life, practical life advice, practical life advice. And, you know, I got the idea to do this because every now and then I get emails from people or messages from, from younger guys asking advice about this, advice about that. And that's fine. You know, I, I really enjoy getting those emails, I like getting them. And, I you know, just in general, I, I really like... I like talking to younger people. I, I like talking to younger, younger men and women, because they, they they have they have a certain innocence that I find appealing in many ways. They have a certain, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but a, a certain eagerness and a certain earnestness about them that, you know, if you've been around a, a while, uh, you you uh, you appreciate more because they remind you of what you were like when you were at that age. And there's two real features that I notice about younger guys, younger men especially, and and women also, but women tend to mature earlier than men, so you don't really get a lot of this same feeling with women, but what what I think is very endearing about the younger guys is they all, they seem to share certain traits, and uh, this is not a criticism at all. I'm not saying this to criticize them. In fact, it's it's a it's a positive thing I'm trying to just convey. And the the, the first thing that that I, I notice often is that many of them are they're very concerned about what other people think. You know, younger guys are always worried. Now you'll get the, an email like, "Hey, you know, am I am I uh, am I looking uh, you know alpha enough, or am I doing this the right way, or?" I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to look like a dork if I do this or do that. There's all, they're always, they're all up in their own head. They're all up in their own mind, worried about what someone is going to think or what, what are they doing this the right way or, or 
there's a lot of overthinking, a lot of overthinking going on with younger guys. And I find that kind of endearing in many ways because I just, I read that and I say, wow, I remember when I used to be like that. And I try to just say, look, man, you know, you're doing the right thing. Just keep on the path of what you're doing. Don't try to be somebody else that you're not. Just focus on the basics. Focus on the basics. Keep doing what you're doing. And you're, you, things will work out. And you'll adjust. You'll change course, direction, and, and make adjustments as needed as time goes by. And, um, you know, the other thing that I like about the younger guys is they, there's, they always, <laughs> whenever, whenever they have a problem, it's always what I call a generalized malaise question. Often you won't get a specific question. They'll, they'll be like a sort of a vague, I'm feeling really bad at work and what do I do? Or I feel like a, uh, a dork here. What do I do? There's, there, it's, it's, it's never a, it's rarely a specific question that involves actionable advice or answers. It's just sort of a generalized feeling of malaise. And when I read those questions, I'm also um, overcome with a feeling of sympathy and a feeling of, um, I don't know, maybe nostalgia because I know what they're getting at. When a younger guy says that, he doesn't really want, he just, he wants to reach out to somebody. He wants someone to talk to. He wants someone to listen to him. You know, the younger guys, they're looking for, they just want someone to kind of hear them out. You know, they, they just want someone to listen to them. They want someone to be there to just tell them it's going to be all right. And they just want that reassurance. And I, that's what I, uh, that's what I know I can detect. And that's really what they need. And I try to provide that, you know, again, it's, it's, it's an art because also there's certain people that you have to kind of kick in the ass and get them moving. And sometimes that uh, has its uses as well. But anyway, I just thought I would mention that about some of the endearing qualities of the younger younger questioners. So anyway, it's not, again, not a criticism. In fact, it's, it's just the opposite. It's a, it's a, uh, I'm saying it as a way of, of, uh, of appreciating it. All right. So let's move on here. Let's talk about now the life advice of Ibn Zafar al-Sakilli. And I'm not going to really... You know, I, I did not know anything about this philosopher up until about a year and a half ago. I did not know anything about him. I had never heard of him. And I came across him in my reading. And this is one of the great things about reading is eventually you'll stumble across some hidden gem. And I found out about this writer. And it just so happened that a very, very, very good translation was done of his work, an annotated translation with, with a lot of the types of extras that I like. And you can find it on Amazon. And the translation was done by two gentlemen who spent time in the Middle East, whose Arabic is obviously very, very good. They look like two uh, Armenian last names, um, uh, Kachikian, Joseph A. Kachikian, and um, R. Dekmejian. And they did a very, very good job on this text, this this old text, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's if you can, if you feel so inclined, I would recommend buying it, and I'll even put a link if you feel like it. Uh, in this, um, uh, there's links to the book on my other articles about Ibn Safar, but uh, but um, it's it's recommended, especially if you're interested in political philosophy or just philosophy in general, or just like good books. And, you know, one of the things that I love about um, discovering these old writers is that there's always great things in there. And 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, Ibn Zafar's uh, background, but he was born in Sicily because in those days, his his lifespan uh, was from 1104 to 1170. And he was born in Sicily, which in those days was a province of the, um, uh, well, it it was an Islamic uh, uh, territory back then. And it was... um, uh, you know, fully uh, under the control of a uh, of a local ruler whose name I'm not sure of. I can look it up, but I don't happen to know it offhand. And he also moved around and lived in different parts of the Middle East. But he wrote. Uh, he was a a, a a court favorite. He did interact with uh, political leaders, and this formed the basis for his treaties on political thought, which he, which was actually uh, titled, and you know, one of the, one of the things, I'll just say this, one of the things I love, I just really, really love about medieval Arabic prose, or just traditional Arabic writing in general, is the, the titles in those days, the titles of books always were done with rhyming prose. You'll even, not only, not only, not only was the poetry in Arabic rhyming, but the prose also rhymed, and it was considered part of a writer's art, to come up with a title that that rhymed, the title itself rhymed. It's just beautiful. I mean, the title of his book was called Salwan al Muta fi Adwan al Atba, and I'll repeat that Salwan al Muta fi Adwan al Atba. And the, in, in, as you can see in Arabic, it's very very nice. It's balanced. It rhymes. You can't really translate a lot of these uh, titles into literal English because they won't make any sense. But the uh, the um, a good translation for that title would be something like a "Consolation for the Ruler Amid the Hostility of His Subjects" or um, "A Way for the Ruler to Handle Situations When He's Confronted with Hostility." And other uh, great works of of, uh, of Arabic literature also had rhyming prose. Uh, you know, there's a one of the, the best examples. I mean, they all rhymed, but one of the best examples is the, the travel memoirs of uh, Ibn, Ibn Battuta, who was a North African traveler who traveled all over the Middle East and Asia. And the title of his work was Tuhfa al-Nidhar fi gharaib al-Amsar wa ajaib al-Asfar. And I'll repeat that again. Tuhfa al-Nidhar and it's again it's very difficult to translate that but it's basically uh, like a, a masterpiece uh, you know for um, you know wonders uh, for people who want to uh, travel to you know wondrous uh, wondrous uh, states uh, it's it's uh, uh, you know, it's 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 just not 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 uh, an easy sentence to to an easy uh, title to translate. But the point is that the the, uh, the the titles of these old works were just beautiful, and a lot of times you just can't really convey those in in, in English. Um, you know, you know, effectively. You know, and this is one of the reasons why Ibn Battuta's book is just simply, the title is simply shortened to just travels. Rehla. Rehlati Ibn Battuta. The travels of Ibn, Ibn Battuta. 
and the the full real title is just not it it's it just sounds so clumsy in english that people just don't really bother with it and that's just i think a, a perfect example of how sometimes languages you just trying to aim for a literal mechanical one for one translation is just not the way to go you have to sort of uh, you know reinvent it or reinterpret it in a way that uh, that makes sense in the target language but anyway the um, let's talk about some of the life advice of um, of Ibn Zafar, and I'll read this to you. And this is in the section on patience. He talks about patience. He says, "Attend to one who offers you advice. If the advice he gives would injure others without serving you, then conclude that he is a villain. If it injures others but is beneficial to you." then conclude that he is an ambitious man. But if it is beneficial to you and hurts no one, then listen to the counselor and trust him. So this is this is his criterion for what to do when you're offered advice. Because this is one of the... It just occurred to me that, that we often don't really have a reliable way of testing whether other people's advice is, is good or not. And there's many ways to test that. I think you can use your own judgment on that but this is a good way I, I found and I'll, I'll repeat that so he says attend to one who offers you advice if the advice he gives would injure others without serving you then conclude that he is a villain in other words if the advice he gives would hurt other people and, and does you no good then conclude that the person giving you the advice is a bad man but if the advice injures others but is beneficial to you then conclude that he is an ambitious man and I think what he means by that is this is someone who's trying to flatter you and trying to offer you um, advice that's good for the short term. But if the advice is beneficial to you and hurts no one, then listen to the counselor and trust him. So in other words, the criterion of good advice, the criterion of good, good advice, it should not only help you, but it should not act in a way that it, that it antagonizes or unnecessarily harms other people. Because having a lot of enemies out there in the world is no way to go through life, believe me. There's no way to go through life. And this is one of the things that Machiavelli, I think, really missed the boat on. This idea that you can act like a... Um, you can just do whatever you want and uh, act in, in a way that uh, pays no mind to what other people are, are uh, the fallout that other people are going to experience from it. And that's just not, not the way to go. I, I just think that's, the older I get, I, I think that that advice is not good advice. You know, unnecessarily antagonizing people is not the way to go. And anyone who thinks otherwise, I think is, uh, in my view, is lacking some practical real-world experience. So think about that piece of advice. That's, that's the first one. The other piece of advice that I like that he gives and I'll read this to you. Again, this is in his section on patience. He says, The philosophers have likewise said, It is the king's duty to ensure five things for himself. First, a faithful counselor from whom advice may seek from whom advice he may seek assistance in good as well as in adverse fortune. Second is a sharp sword to defend himself against his enemies. Third is a stallion whose speed he may rely upon when further resistance is impossible. Fourth is a beautiful woman whose love may preserve him both in thought and deed. And fifth, <laughs> fifth 
is an impregnable fortress in which to take refuge when surrounded by an enemy. So this is Ibn Zafar's uh, counsel on some the five things that a king may need. And again, this the book is filled with this is just one of many, many, many pieces of advice. So I'm not this is not all he says, but this is just one of the things that jumped out at me as something that might be worth hearing. And I'll repeat that. Basically it's first you need a faithful counselor who can give you advice in good times as well as bad. Second, a sharp sword. We can interpret that modernly as as, as a, a good weapon to defend yourself against your enemies. Third is a stallion whose speed he may rely upon when further resistance is impossible. In other words, you better have a way to get out of dodge. If, if things go south and if shit goes south, you better find a way to get out of dodge. And that's really what he's saying is you always have a backup plan. Have plan B because no matter how good your plans are, things do not always cooperate the way you want them to. Fourth is a beautiful woman. Okay, We cannot neglect the benefits of love. A good man cannot neglect the benefits of love. And this is something that's totally lacking in Machiavelli. Totally lacking. Who himself, I think, was arguably a very cold and distant man. And the fifth thing is an impregnable fortress. An impregnable fortress. You better have your redoubt. You better have your redoubt to which you can repair yourself in times of need or take refuge in when you need to. All right, let's move on to more advice here from Ibn Zafar. And here's one where he says, it was it was said, you know, and it's funny in these translations, it was said, you know, in the, in, the, in, in Arabic, it's always like, kala, like it'll be kala, like, um, you know, uh, it is said, uh, or he said, and um, uh, okay, I'm just going to read the quote here. He says, "If you so much as bestow a glance on your enemy, you lose your advantage, and if you listen to his words, you submit yourself to him." It was said, or he said. By demonstrating friendly approval to the enemy, you expose yourself to the risk of being submerged in his world and falling into his schemes. It was said, When a man bows to listen to his enemy, what good does it do if he obtains nothing in exchange? It was said, He who cannot resist the temptation to gossip with the enemy is incapable of guarding himself against its stratagems. And boy, isn't that... uh, isn't that ever true? And here's some very wise, uh, some very wise uh, information about subjects, about a ruler's subjects. Okay, and listen to this. He says, "It was said, subjects subjects first shake their tongues and then their fists. Rulers cannot control their tongues unless they master their whole bodies. Nor will sovereigns remain in power unless they can win the hearts of the mass of the masses." But those, but these hearts will never cleave to a sovereign if he does not administer justice impartially, applying similar measures to high and low, lighten taxes on provisions and labor, and exempt his subjects from excessive taxation. These three causes are, in fact, those that generate hatred among the upper classes and propel the lower ones to long more ardently to rise to their level. There are three kinds of subjects. The first are worthy individuals who are faithful and who recognize the superiority of the ruler. They acknowledge the importance of the care that is devoted 
to him and feel the burden of his responsibilities. Their affection towards the ruler may be recognized by their graciousness and courtesy. The second group includes good and bad individuals who must, therefore, be held in check by a combination of gentleness and severity. The third is the populace that always supports those who advocate causes without questioning either their words or actions. They side without knowing friend from foe. They must be governed through fear, without harsh treatment, and tough punishment without excessive rigor. So these are the classes, the different classes of subjects. And I think that these uh, these little comments here really show Ibn Zafar at his best as in terms of his knowledge of human psychology and of what really matters in the real world. And lastly, before we close out, I think I'll emphasize one last thing that comes through in um, the Solwan, in Ibn Safar's work, which is the, the necessity of patience, the real necessity of patience. You have to play the long game. You really do have to play the long game in life because there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs, there are going to be in-betweens, and you have to be able to roll with the punches in life because you're going to get a lot of them. Believe me. Believe me. And... On patience, one of his best comments is this. He says, Man's fate is in accordance with his worth. A man may be known by his patience in enduring calamities that befall him. He has little to hope for from fortune, uh, who has little patience to support him. I'll repeat that last sentence. He has little to hope for from fortune, who has little patience to support him. What that means is, the person who does not have much patience cannot expect much good fortune. That's what that means. So patience, patience, patience. It's such a critical quality. And, you know, I don't think... What's interesting is I think there are cultural differences that, that reading reading works from different cultures, like reading works from uh, Arabic literature, Chinese literature, Indian literature. They emphasize different things than the Western tradition did. I mean, the, the believe me, I mean, obviously I'm a... Uh, by inclination and by my uh, my writings, my translations, I'm I'm a I'm a Western classical uh, translator lat of the Latin classics, but at the same time, we cannot close our eyes to the traditions of other parts of the world, which have also their own special qualities. And you know, it's 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 the the, the Romans and the Greeks in many ways did not emphasize as much of these quote-unquote Asian qualities like patience, rolling with the punches, things like that, as the Western uh, philosophers did. The, the, that, that's, and some can argue that this is a source of strength, and I, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. But there, all, there is also some value in that uh, Arabic or Chinese quality of, of patience, of playing the long game. You've got to be in it for the long game. So anyway... That was my little extract here of life advice from Ibn Zafar al-Sakalli, the Sicilian. And I hope you will uh, take that to heart, take that to heed. And until next time, I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night. <laughs>